Come to college with me. This week on the podcast, I'm interviewing two of my favorite professors, starting with Dr. Meng, my marriage and family therapy professor. Dr. Meng is a marriage and family therapist and also is my abnormal psych professor. And it was really fun getting to do this interview with him. I talked to Dr. Meng about what couples are struggling with, including what they're struggling with sexually. We talk about how to talk to our partners about sex, how to talk to our kids about sex, what advice he has for couples with mismatched libidos, and so much more. I hope you love this episode of the Vagina Blog Podcast. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me. I am thrilled to introduce you to Ruby, my new vulva plush pillow for all your educational needs. Ruby is unique because she comes with her own removable clitoris, the perfect tool for teaching all about female pleasure, how to use period products, and what the entire clitoral anatomy looks like, and more. You can find Ruby on my site, thevaginablog.com. Check her out and let me know what products you'd like to see next. If you followed me for any amount of time, you know I love the Jovi patch. Jovi uses nanotechnology to intercept messages caused by discomfort, giving your brain the ability to better manage and cope. No wires, no magnets, no medication, just neurocapacitive coupling technology. Go to meetjovi.com and use code THEVAGINABLOG20 in all caps to get $20 off your Jovi purchase or head to the show notes for a quick link. Jovi is reusable, drug-free relief for anyone suffering, especially with menstrual cramps. Hello, everyone. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Nathan Mang. He is actually my marriage and family therapy uh, teacher. I also took abnormal psychology from him, and I am so excited to sit down with him today and talk to him about some of the common questions that I get all the time about therapy and marriage and relationships, and I thought we could just kind of dive in. So, Dr. Ming, first off, I would love to hear your story, who you are, why you got into this field, and just kind of a general, like, what's your background? So, yeah, um... I'll try to give you the shortened version. So uh, I initially, when I started school, I wanted to be um, a doctor, a PA, or, or something. I wanted to work in the medical field. Um, and I had the opportunity to, and I started pre-med, I was doing it, I, was, I had the opportunity to go shadow a few um, physicians. Um, uh, one in the ER, which I loved, I thought that was fantastic, but um, as I was shadowing them, I got a little discouraged because I felt like they weren't quite paying attention to the things that need to be paid attention to. Um, not that they're, you know, missing stuff, but that they were looking for, how do I treat and medicate? Um, and I felt like they were missing the real question, the real problem, what was really going on for them. Um, and so, um, because of that, I decided to look into psychology. So I started, um, working psychology as I started, um, I actually got my degree in behavioral psych. Um, and as I was doing that, I had a neighbor that was um, in the marriage and family therapy program. This was at Utah State. Um, and he said, hey, can I interview you? Can I come and just practice doing some therapy stuff with you? And I thought, yeah, I got lots of stuff for you to practice mm -hmm. on, so come on over. Um, so he sat down and he started, um, we went through this interview process, we did all these things, and then he started telling me about systems therapy. Um, and working within a system, so the more complex component of 
you know, trying to understand the family unit, the, the community unit, the government unit, the, um, you know, biology, just how everything plays a different role. Um, and it was then that I, I, for myself, realized that psychology was not the path. It was too individualistic that it did not focus on what I wanted to do. Um, and that's when I made a shift into marriage and family therapy. So systems work, um, working within, um, trying to help, you know, shift the whole dynamic as opposed to just an individual. So that's how I got that direction. I, I knew that at some point in time I wanted to teach. Um, so I did go and get my PhD right away, but um, then went and worked, um, started working residential care. I've worked private practice. Um, I've worked quite a few different capacities um, just in that pathway until I ended up here. Um, when Utah Tech offered me the position, I um, felt like probably it was a good time to, to make a shift. So. Mm. so do you still have a practice? I don't. Um, I, I supervise interns right now, but I don't have my private practice. When I, uh, when I started here initially, um, I did have my private practice, um, but um, we just started a, a master's program in marriage and family therapy at Utah Tech, and so um, that was me. I'm the only one here that yeah. is on that <laughs> clinical field, and so um, it has You're been busy. really, really busy. So I have yeah. not actually had the chance to go back to do private practice um, I'm hoping that within the next little bit, we've got um, some new hires and things like that that are going on, but then I'll, I'll start my practice again. Mm. So with all the experience that you've had, not only in, in practicing yourself, but also now teaching, what do you feel like are the most common relationship issues that you're seeing in partnerships and marriages specifically? Yeah, that's a tricky question because I would say that there's, um, research-wise, we could go one direction. Um, and and the problem with that research is that our culture is changing pretty drastically, um, especially with COVID and mm. um, things like that. So uh, overall, uh, and even being more online and having more online presence and that we have relationships online, not just like we're communicating with mm -hmm. each other, but it's built off of this is my personality that I'm presenting, my online personality. And so I think that... Um, yeah, one of the, the common issues is we kind of walk into relationships like we're ready to walk out. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of walk into a relationship like we're saying to the other person, um, I'm going to put you through this test. Um, if you don't you know, clear these different mm -hmm. tick marks, then you're out. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't spend enough time looking at ourselves and trying to identify who we are and what we need in a relationship. Um, and so you see like the, the healthiest, the, the relationships that do the best, that last the longest are the ones that they're very self-aware, they, mm -hmm. they understand their own flaws, their own strengths, um, and, and they're not like uh, hyper-reactive. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, they, they don't take on the emotion of the other person, which doesn't sound quite right in a relationship, but, you know, if, um, if I, I walk into the house and, you know, my wife you know, gives me this dirty look and she says, how was your day? Mm. If I'm instantly offended by that, mm -hmm. we're going to have a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. But if I say, okay, she's probably got something going on, something's happened, um, this isn't me, this is her, and, and so I'm able to not be reactive to what she's just said, then yeah. we're better to, more likely to have a, a better relationship. But I, I would say that culturally, we're not like that. We're pretty reactive right now. Um, 
we we spin each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see the trolls online. I mean, just I, that's kind of the uh, I don't know that that's kind of what's happening more often now, and yeah. I think that's having a, a pretty big effect on relationships. Um, and so, yeah, identifying yourself, really knowing not just who you are, but who you are in a relationship. What do I need mm-hmm. from my partner? What do I need, you know, them to do and then, you know, uh, to kind of fill in those gaps mm-hmm. where I'm not really good at this and I'm not really good at that, right? Um, I have, I've got a long list of the things that I know I do wrong. Same. And I don't, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, oh, I'm such a terrible person no. like that. But I just know I'm not good at this. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to recognize really quickly when I say something and I'm like, okay, stop, hang on. I don't say that right always, you know, I don't focus on that quite right. Um, you know, it's not a great, um, like, in a relationship piece, but between my daughter and I, um, mm-hmm. she needs that, like, constant positive feedback. And most teenagers do. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm just not, I'm not good at it. I'm just, I, and it's not that I'm, I'm not overly critical, like, I'm not like chasing her around, this is what you did wrong, and you did this, and you, but I might say, hey, don't forget to do this, mm. um, hey, don't forget this, or hey, when you do that, would you make sure to get, um, and she sees that very much as a criticism um, and an attack, and so I have to remember mm. to say the positive, you know, to say, mm-hmm. hey, I really appreciate, hey, when you, I, you know, I can't believe you remember to do this, um, I, I mean, it's been enough that where like I'll keep a tally card in my pocket just so that I know every time I put my hand in my pocket I'm like oh yeah I gotta say something nice to my daughter I gotta focus I, on the good things I doing. see that so much in relationships too like if you look at like love languages and the yeah. idea behind that it's the same thing like if words of affirmation are not a strength for you and also maybe not your love language it may be a challenge to develop that but you might need to if your partner's love language is words of affirmation right yeah. Well, and recognizing too that, I mean, even along those lines, like, um, but there's a strong possibility that's never going to change. Yeah. Right. There's a strong possibility and, and we're going to be fighting with that forever mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would, that would be the biggest piece I would say is commitment. Yeah. Walking into a relationship saying I'm fully committed to this relationship, right? I'm, I'm gonna give eight hours a day mm-hmm. to this relationship mm-hmm. means to me, this relationship's probably going to work. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, I just hope that this relationship works out because that's what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. it's probably going to have huge problems, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, the, the analogy that it, like, we're in a river. Um, yeah. So if you stop doing something, that means you're moving away. You're not moving towards. And that's, you know, you really have to be constantly thinking about, you know, what can I do for my partner? What can I do mm-hmm. for my relationship? What can I, for myself, how am I going to relax before I have to talk to them about this serious mm-hmm. issue or whatever it is, so... So when do you, when is it time to go to therapy? Because obviously, like all of us that are in relationships, we go through seasons, right? But at what point do you pause and say, like, okay, this is this has gotten beyond. It's time for therapy. Yeah, well, so the business acumen in my head is saying, I mean, you should be going every week. Yeah, right? everyone should all the time, right? Ideally, myself. yes. <laughs> I do think it's good to do a checkup. I don't know that it's necessary to do it with a therapist. There's lots of books. You brought up the love language. There's mm-hmm. things like that that mm-hmm. we can do that are constantly helping. Um, but I would say that um, couples more often wait too long mm-hmm. before they go in um, because they don't need or because this stigma that, oh, we're going to therapy now. Um, 
you know, and I, so I, I think it's don't wait too long. It's really, you know, it's fine. Um, my wife and I, what we do is we like to have kind of a checkup mm-hmm. um, where once a year we'll sit down, we'll say what's going on, you know, what have been the strengths this year, what have mm-hmm. been the weaknesses this year, what are we going to work on together in our relationship. And so I think that's kind of the key is really just if you can do that on your own mm-hmm. and you feel like you can have a good conversation about that, then great. Um, but if you, you know, you walk in with your partner and, um, if it's been two years we've been fighting and you're going to go into therapy, I mean, that's a lot to have to work through. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really good to do even like a, I wish they would do something like premarital mm-hmm. kind of, you know, even if it was just a class. So, amen. And then, you know, just as you go, just kind of identify and say, you know, hey, it's been a really long time since mm-hmm. we've checked in. Mm-hmm. What's going? Especially when you bring kids into the mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that relationship kind of gets pushed off to the side, right? Yeah. Because I mean, it's, yeah. Well, maybe. especially, at least initially, right? Yeah. Hopefully you come back around to home, but they really try to make sure you don't almost. Yeah. <laughs> they really try to distract you away from that, those well, kids. Well, just all those pieces, right? Like, it's, yes. Well, I think we've talked about before, like, um, people say, you know, hey, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? And I'm like, what? The children. I, I have I the know. children. Yeah. yeah. And so it really is figuring out how to find that space yeah. um, for each other in that space um, to check in in a relationship. If, you know, if we were looking at like saying, Hey, this is what a, a couple with a strong relationship does. Mm. I would say they probably take 10, at least 10 minutes a day to just check in with each other mm-hmm. where they've cut, they're not looking at their phones. Yeah. They're, you know, they lock, I always tell, I would make the joke. I say, you know, you, you lock the door mm-hmm. and if you know your kids are going to be banging on the door, you know, throw some matches out there, throw some knives out there, and mm-hmm. then they'll leave you alone. Or right? climb out the window yeah. is my personal lock the door and then... Some some kind of space <laughs> where you don't have to listen, right? Because that's a yeah. you know, common theme is as soon as you shut the door, then the kids really want to be know. there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. So making sure at least 10 minutes where we can check yeah. in. That could be a phone call. That could be, you know, just kind of checking in with each other mm-hmm. um, in the morning before you go. But just something. Mm-hmm. There has to be that... Where are we at? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Are we okay? Did mm-hmm. we talk about? Did we? Yeah. Well, and I feel like something I can speak to, uh, having been married, there are years that are my favorite with my husband, and yeah. then there are years where we maybe have not been the best of friends, or it's been a rough year, or either we're not getting along, or things are hard with the kids, or life. We've had life stuff going on, or things like that. So I, I think sometimes this idea is promoted that it's just all going to be really fun oh, and happy yeah. all the time. And I, I don't, in my life experience, it has not been that way. No, no. My partner and I talk about this all the time. So the first year, um, that we were together was horrid. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at pro- the worst year of my mm-hmm. life. I mean, and we will discuss this all the time. I, and it's very easy to draw out what was going on now. Yeah. But totally. at the time, the cycle, you're in I mean, it. just so stubborn, you know, mm-hmm. and every, everything to me is a joke. And so mm. I have this stubbornness and joking thing piece, you know, that's going on. And it just perpetuated these cycles to mm-hmm. just keep going and going and making it worse because I'm not going to let it go because I'm stubborn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then I'm making a joke as I, anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, to know that it's going to not get, it's not going to be great. I mean, you're trying to mesh mm-hmm. worlds. You're trying to mesh all kinds of things. Oh. It's just, you're going to have ups and downs. Yeah. It, and if you're not having downs, don't freak out. Yeah. And if you're not having ups, don't freak out. Yeah. Because you don't know, right? You don't yeah. know where they're going to keep coming. You don't need to go, you know. So I would say that, yeah, when you start to feel like um, 
the majority of the week is spent more in that I'm just so frustrated I don't know what to do that's probably a better time to go in mm. uh, into therapy um, especially if you're feeling lost um, as far as like a direction mm-hmm. the therapist isn't going to be there to like let me give you the direction mm-hmm. but maybe help move some of the pieces out of way out of the way so you can find that direction yeah well, and I tell you, I'm like, flip open your notes app on your phone when you're feeling like maybe we might need to do, like, maybe this is where we need to go. Make a note of it. Because sometimes for me, I get stuck in like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, because we want to present really well. And, it, you know, even you hear people say it all the time. You struggle with depression? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, that's because we're really good at putting up a front, right? Yep. And so... Yeah, I agree with that, Um, especially if you can have something where you can say, um, you know, to your partner, you could say something like, hey, um, I've noticed that we're having a lot of arguments about money, and Mm -hmm. and next Tuesday, I'd really like to sit down and talk about that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't want it to turn into too much emotional, so if we want to do that with a a therapist, we can, but Mm -hmm. I'd just like to, you know... And then and, and give some kind of future date to say, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this yeah. in the next couple of days, um, rather than, hey, I, I've noticed that you and I have a problem with money, right? Because then it's like, yeah, you think I spend the money wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It turns into an immediate fight. So immediate. I like that idea of like, yeah. keep track of some of those things yeah. and then present them to your partner like, hey, um, you know, tomorrow or hey on our date mm-hmm. or hey on this, I'd really like to talk about some of these things that keep coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so still talking about co- couples, what what do you feel like is the most common sexual issues that you're seeing in partnerships and marriages? Yeah, that's another complex one, but I'm going to I'm going to jump right to what I think mm. my overall Yes, I want to hear it. lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, yeah. lack of um, perspective, lack of I, I think it, it's almost like it, we put this strong emphasis like that the education system needs to teach us about sex. And, you know, sure, they, they should do. offer us some stuff. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, is that we took these classes mm-hmm. and everybody walks out with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody walks out saying, I don't know that I learned anything, right? Mm. Because either we're not ready for it, we're not paying attention, we don't like the presenter, mm-hmm. we're laughing too much, mm-hmm. we're whatever it is. And so we walk into, I think, a lot of these um, relationships not knowing and not understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that, um, you know, we've discussed in my classes, some of that is going to be lack of understanding about their own beliefs mm-hmm. around sexuality um, because they haven't really sat down to say, what is my understanding of sex? What What is my understanding of? Mm-hmm. Um, or even um, religious expectations, mm-hmm. right, where um, we don't even know, right? And I said this, like, uh, you go into religions will say here are our guidelines yes but they don't sit down and say so let's talk about then what sex actually looks like yeah. right what do we what would we consider foreplay what would we mm-hmm. consider we don't talk about any of those pieces yeah and and that I would say that really needs to go back to parents for kids mm-hmm. when you get into your adult ages it's a little bit tougher but to really it's that lack of knowledge that mm-hmm. lack of understanding so finding someplace even just the anatomy totally um, and I you know I've been studying this for a really long time um, it's one of my specialties mm-hmm. um, but I think every time I go back to the sexual response cycle and I start going in I start studying anatomy and things like that mm-hmm. I learn something new there's oh, there, it's yeah. so complex and and even with um, our, our own research mm-hmm. we're discovering more and more things 
they just really just barely figured out the full anatomy of the clitoris. Right. You know, and so in our lifetimes. So, and, and I think, too, there's this weird uh, expectation of, like, oh, they'll know what to do. Yeah. I see that a lot, especially amongst females of, like, they'll, they'll, they'll know what to do. And when you're in a heterosexual relationship, especially, you're dealing with someone who has completely different response, genitals, everything, anatomy. Yeah. So, you need to know. You need to learn these things. But, but even with the different? Yeah. Even if you had similar. Yeah. The odds that we truly understand our own bodies are actually pretty limited. So true. Because it's it's still kind of shamed, and yeah. I know we're doing a great job of you know trying to expand on this, but it's still kind of shamed, and so mm-hmm. we don't talk about it, or we do, and it's embarrassing, and we, or our feelings are hurt, or something, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um, we don't spend a lot of time with the education component. Yeah. And so that's what I would say first and foremost. Um, with couples that come in, mm-hmm. and they say we're having these issues. One of the first things I say is I need you to go, both of you to go and get a physical. Yeah. Because um, I need to know, is there a medical reason for this? Is there, you know, physical reason for this? Is mm-hmm. there something else that's going on? This is a good thing to note, too, that this is the first thing that any therapist, they're going to do medical rule out. Yeah. And so if you are thinking about going to see a sex therapist or just a marriage family therapist or any therapy for sexual reasons, you're probably going to need to check in with your doc initially. Right. pain with intercourse I mean Mm -hmm. there could be all kinds of things Mm -hmm. Um, again we don't talk about we're not super open about and so Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's not it maybe it's discomfort Mm -hmm. but we got to get rid of that piece first and I would say that the majority of when when couples come in the majority of sexual dysfunction there's something like that there's Mm -hmm. something there there's a piece there Um, we're not getting enough sleep um, where we have poor sleep habits, mm-hmm. um, we're exhausted, so we're trying to have sex when we're, you know, completely drained right. anyway, and so it feels yeah. more like a ritual than it does an actual interaction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think there's just that educational component I would say is really big. Um, the next piece after that would be communication. Mm-hmm. Um, again, jumping back to this, I don't know myself. Yeah, and then we don't talk about it again with each other or the way we communicate is not great right so um with couples that you know we're talking about okay so we want to have a more intense sexual experience or something and um what they will inevitably do is have sex Mm -hmm. and then talk about it right after and Mm -hmm. you know what don't you do and as soon as you say something like you know i uh, i'm thinking of um uh a gay couple that I'm working with and mm-hmm. and as soon as they were done you know they they start having this conversation <laughs> and and they come in and they're like and it turned into a massive fight yeah and I said yeah I can understand because you're the most vulnerable you can yeah. be and then somebody says you know what I didn't start like? critiquing yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's it's becomes very personal totally. instead of a, don't do that anymore that's really uncomfortable is you're a bad person don't yeah. you know I don't I don't like you or something yeah. and so um it's not just the communication, like when do we communicate about it mm-hmm. and things like that. Again, that same concept I said before of, you know, set it aside to say, okay, we're going to talk about this, mm-hmm. you know, um, likes, dislikes, all that kind of stuff later. And, and there's time and uh, the ability to experience like that. Mm-hmm. Just at the end to have a critique session is just never going to work out. No, mm-mm. So, would not recommend that. <laughs> so education, um, you know, I, even with, um, with training new therapists, um, one of the activities that I have them do is go and present the sexual response cycle to someone that they know. 
Mm-hmm. Which is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because we know them, right? And so we're, now we're talking about intimacy. Yeah. Um, but I've never had one come back that didn't the where the couple didn't say something like, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right? Um, or one of them, you know, one of them saying, I didn't know that. And the other one saying, you didn't, you know, and then, and then flipping it, you totally. know, the next sentence is you didn't know that. And yeah. then, you know, enhancing this relationship of just gaining an understanding of, you know, physiology yeah. and, you know, patterns and things like that. So, so and I, I get asked this a lot. What does a conversation look like? I, cause I have people that will message me and say, I don't know how to talk to my partner about sex. What does that conversation look like? I always tell them that it needs to be at lunch, not at 11 o'clock at night when someone yep. has a boner, right? Yep. We want to talk about it at lunch in a public place where, like, this is truly all we're talking about. We can't have sex with each other in the middle of the conversation because we're in a public place. Like, but what does that conversation look like? Well, and I would say, I, I would say you could. Yeah. Um, but recognize that if, if you do end up having sex, that's going to interrupt that conversation. Well, yeah, right? exactly. And so... Yeah, I mean, initially, I, I think start small, work big. So um, if you've ever looked at like the sensate focus model, mm-hmm. um, where you know we're not going to have sex for mm-hmm. weeks, mm-hmm. right? We're just going to start with a conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're talking about is, and that's set aside time. Yeah. It's very critical. Yeah. Um, Eleven o'clock at night when we're exhausted, probably. It's not going to go well. It it would for me. I'm a night. You're a person. night owl. Yeah, I, exactly. I, Three a.m. I'd be like. Let's, let's, let's dive into this. this really, right? But <laughs> my partner is in bed at eight. Yeah. And exhausted at eight. Yeah. And so it's not gonna. So we have to find a time that fits really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, springing it on each other is always gonna start with her hurt feeling, you know, or defensiveness or anger. And so mm-hmm. saying, hey, let's do lunch tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that statement is really tough for people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's talk about sex is is tough in that relationship. It feels vulnerable. It feels intimate. It feels weighted. But almost the second that you say it, mm-hmm. it almost fixes things for you. Yeah. That you're almost like, by then, you know, we say, okay, so it's Monday, and we say, okay, so Thursday at lunch, we'd like to talk about sex. It's like, actually, then we have this really great sexual experience Tuesday night, right? Mm-hmm. Just because we've opened up the door that we want to fix this. Yeah. So then people... F- forget mm-hmm. or go okay well it was resolved and then they don't have that conversation on yep. thursday when in reality that's just a really great little honeymoon totally. right they need to still have that conversation yeah right um i think it's very critical to talk about um the things that you like and the mm-hmm. strengths that you have um to really focus on what's going well mm-hmm. um i also think that um it, it is good to look at Things that make you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Things I'm not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But to separate them, so make a list and think about this. Um, I'm uncomfortable with that now. There's a possibility I'd be more comfortable with it in the future, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or things that, no, I'm just really, really uncomfortable. Maybe it's like past trauma or maybe it's totally. something, you know, um, but whatever that is, I'm really uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that. Um, and so here's the good, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really what you're trying to go with. Um, yeah. Works best in committed relationships, yeah. right? Because you're going to have more of that. I can be more open. I can be more willing. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to look at like um, like David Snarch, we'll talk about this. Um, don't be embarrassed by things um, that there's like a healthy level of masochism. Mm. Um, 
and and even sadism where mm-hmm. we feel like we you know like we we want to hurt our partner a little bit or we want to be hurt a little bit mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying for everyone mm-hmm. but there are these healthy levels um, that might be there that it kind of like the uh, I, I explain it like the mama bear instinct, you know, mm-hmm. when <clears throat> very mild and very mellow and then somebody threatens your kids and mm-hmm. suddenly you're super angry and super aggressive. Yeah. Um, and it's very outside of your personality. There's a possibility that there's that in mm-hmm. there. So be okay with exploring that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, he would also talk about, um, he's one of my favorite authors is David Snarch. Mm-hmm. Um, he would also talk about, um, it's always a good idea to express to your partner some of your fantasies. Yes, Things absolutely. that you would like to uh-huh. do or like to have done mm-hmm. um, within reason, right? Oh, yeah. You can't say, you know, what would be really great is if you were 15 feet tall or, you know, yeah. or something. So finding some kind of fantasy that mm-hmm. your partner might be able to try to fulfill for you yeah. um, so that they are aware of the things that you're liking and the things that you're doing. And that's a fun conversation because yeah. I think when we start to dive into fantasy, that reintroduces play into the intimate relationship yep. and it's you get lost in dreamland. And so if you're maybe discussing some of these things that are more difficult to talk about, reincorporating that conversation brings the fun back in. Yeah. Well, and I think I think too even helps us to maybe normalize a little bit because I think totally. too like sometimes we're worried that you know hey if if I say fantasy mm-hmm. that it's gonna you know um, become really kinky yeah. or really extreme and and that's not always true uh, no. a lot of fantasy just it is can be very mellow it can yeah. be very mild and um, but also recognizing that when we express that we're making ourselves much more vulnerable to our partner Oh yeah, um, which opens the door for them to be vulnerable, and yeah. so if we're in a really good, you know, relationship where we have that communication, that commitment to each other, mm-hmm. it's going to be a really good safe space to explore yeah. some of that and try to understand ourselves, um, and and to recognize that someone says, you know, here's my fantasy, and then. Mm-hmm. As it starts, if we're really uncomfortable to say, oh, nope, that's not... Actually, this isn't working out. I was wrong. (laughs) I I don't like that. Yes. Um, Can we go back to what we were at before? I know so. I love the saying, I'll try anything twice, especially within this realm, because I think that's true of a lot of areas within intimacy, especially if you're getting into any of the BDSM, any of this other type of stuff. Like, There's the exploration of it. There's the perfecting of, of some of this stuff. And you may find midway through, like, this was not at all what I yeah. thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, so the, to me, the restaurant analogy is, like, so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to this restaurant. It's your favorite restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And you love it there. And maybe you have even a favorite dish. Mm-hmm. And then one day you go to the restaurant, and they don't have your favorite dish. The so worst. now what do you do? Cry. Write a letter. Cry. <laughs> Leave them. <laughs> You can continue to ask, right? But maybe you try something else on the menu. Also true. And you're going to find that, oh, actually, this is my new. Or maybe you yourself go and you taste that dish and mm-hmm. you say, that's not as good as it was before, mm-hmm. right? And so being willing to, to try oh, a few different things, so to true. try a couple of things and see, you know, and recognize, too, mm-hmm. that so when I, I'm talking about this, like in that relationship, that it's possible that I'm walking in going, I don't, I don't like this thing that we've been doing. I used to think that was the most, yeah. you know, the, the best or something, mm-hmm. but I don't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that everybody's going to change, we're yeah. going to have, and it's going to have this ebb and flow, but I like that too. 
So try it. Yeah. Maybe you didn't like it the first time, but maybe Maybe try one more time just to see because you never know. Seasons. Yeah. Seasons, too. Your tastes have changed or something else is different or your relationship is different or... Well, and it's... I Sexual seasons is, like, something that I feel like is so important to talk about because in... There's the natural ebbs and flows of relationship. There's also... Uh, grief that can happen. There's kids that can happen. There's a ton of body changes that come with kids, with aging, with injury, with everything in between. And so you're going to go through seasons. And so something that didn't work great in that, that season might be amazing. Right. The second time around or third time around, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And having that open communication and just recognize there's going to be so many differences and um, not to feel like um, I mean, the other piece I would say is be very cautious and like, this is what society is telling me I'm supposed totally. to like because mm-hmm. they don't actually dictate anything and no. they're not going to be good at that. And yeah. so, you know, make sure that that's why I said going back to that, your own understanding and your own beliefs and your own are going to be very influential mm-hmm. on your likes and dislikes. And so, yeah, if you, you well, we could try this, but I don't know. Right? Yeah. Or no, I don't want to try that at all. Yeah. Right. And having that really good respect with each other. And, um, you know, the difficulty too is that. Um, with sex, it's, it is kind of a temperature gauge, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're having a really rough time with your relationship in general, mm-hmm. that's going to come out in that sex. And that that's going to affect the sexual relationship a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, possibly even long term. And so you have to be very cautious with that, making yeah. sure that, um, you know, we're working on our communication. We have a good, steady relationship before. Mm-hmm. But I, it's the canary for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, it. I mean, and I think, we you know, asking earlier, when's it time to go to therapy, that, you know, if you're struggling in this area, it might be time for to go sure. to therapy. For sure. For sure. Right? Because that means the temperature has changed. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see it in the thermometer. And that's what, yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. Um, and, and even just, even if nothing's going on in the relationship, but something's happening in, happening in a sexual relationship, that's a good time to go in and just check and say, yeah. so that you can ask and say, is there something going on? And they say, no. Yeah. That's just part of the norm, right? Like you said, like seasons. And so, mm-hmm. well, that's going to be, you went to the restaurant, mm-hmm. you didn't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try something different. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. So a lot of that is really understanding yourself and then understanding your partner would be the second piece to that. Right? Yeah. So uh, I didn't ask you about this initially, but mismatched libidos, I know, is often uh, a pain point for a lot of couples and is very, very common. Sure. Uh, what, I mean, speak to that. Yeah, that's uh, pretty complex, but I would uh, go back to what we've been talking about. And that is having that conversation with your partner so that you can say, um, uh, I don't know, sex isn't just by yourself. Mm-hmm. And even if your libidos are off and, and that's going to happen often is to recognize that that's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And so trying to understand your partner in those situations and what do they need mm-hmm. um, and how can I fulfill that and still not have to worry about my own, right? Or, or still fulfill my own, mm-hmm. but not infringe upon them on what they need or what they don't want or things like that. And so really, again, that's there's there's so many things. I It's like it, we get stuck in this mindset that we both have to be interested mm-hmm. and we both have to want and we both have... And the odds that that's going to happen are only in movies. Totally. Everyone being in the mood at the exact same time is such a fallacy. And a movie, right? Yeah. That only works in the... And everything working out 
right? People's clothes are ripped off so perfectly, yes. and then there's music. And no one trips. Nobody <laughs> is hurt, and there's no weird smells or yes. sounds, or yes. you know, nobody nobody says ouch, or you know, yeah. what I mean, it's just so yeah. And so recognizing that it, it's always going to be, you know, and I'm not saying there will be times, you know, in those uh, relationships when it, it is going to work out perfectly. Absolutely. But, but really, we're saying it's not always, and mm-hmm. so trying to then decide again. Um, what am I willing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, what does my partner need? And then having a communication about mm-hmm. that, um, you know, because there's so many more options than just having sex. Yeah. Um, or feeling like I'm only doing this out of duty or I'm only, you know, I can only do. And so really communicating and coming up with not a compromise, mm. but coming up with a good consensus mm-hmm. about what our sexual relationship should look like, despite the fact that our libidos are so mismatched. Because, I mean, so, you know, maybe I have a low libido now. My partner has really high libido. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say to my partner, well, too bad, right? Too bad, right? And then two years down the road, we've flipped. Mm-hmm. And now my partner's going to say too bad, right? And so mm-hmm. we have to think about that a little bit. Totally. How do I can come up with something where I, I feel comfortable, my partner feels mm-hmm. comfortable, we can keep moving forward. Right? And that's just a, it's a conversation. And it's a continual conversation of how are we... What is this going to look like during this season and what works for both of us? It's the consensus, yeah. right? This is the mutual masturbation. Is it, mm-hmm. I mean, just think outside of just, mm-hmm. well, we have to have sex. Yeah, intercourse. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. We've got to look for what other things are there and, mm-hmm. and how can I help you fulfill, you know, your low need or your high need mm-hmm. or and, and just recognize that that's normal, mm-hmm. right? And so we get so caught up in this idea that uh, again, like I, I should be constantly turned on and ready to have sex all the time. You know, media has taught us that we're yeah. pretty much ready to go all the time. Yeah. Um, with anybody. Especially men. Yeah. Which. Yeah, you should always be ready to have sex, right? <sighs> mm-hmm. um, that was one. Um, uh, when my partner was um, in uh, nursing school, one of the instructors said, um, men are like a light switch. Mm-hmm. You just flip and it's on. And that's just I not hate true. that. That is, it is so. Yeah. Uh, minimizing, uh, like the, the, I hate it. Yeah. And so, yeah, trying to discuss and trying to discover then and, uh, and just knowing that, look, just because you're not interested doesn't mean there's something absolutely wrong with you. Yeah. Now, if you're not interested, but you want to be, mm-hmm. then we look at, okay, so what can we do different? How can we make changes? What kinds of things can we do? And then we start exploring more. Mm-hmm. But just to say, I'm not interested doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be interested in sex all the time. Um, and so recognizing that then means that we have to come up with something that works for our relationship because mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, intercourse. There's so many other options, so many other mm-hmm. things we can do um, and still have that really great relationship with yeah. each other. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier kind of the importance of teaching our kids in the home, which I so agree with. I think it's incredibly important. They aren't getting it at school. They aren't. We can't expect the world to educate our children about these things because, A, we may not agree with what the world's coming up with. B, what's available to them right now is terrifying for them to, you know, be learning from that. Um, And so what does teaching your kids about sex look like? You have six children. How is this going? Yeah, and it's and it's been different with each of my kids, um, just based on their needs. But um, but I would say it's it's very important um, first and foremost again that educational component, which might mean that we ourselves have to get a little educated so yeah. that we can actually explain it. Yeah. Um, I I think it's important for us to feel comfortable with our kids 
so that they feel comfortable asking questions. Mm-hmm. That also, to me, means using the correct terminology. Um, and I know I've heard people talk about this, and parents don't always agree with me, but I, I, it is important to use the correct terminology I so agree. that, again, we can just have a good, yep. um, open conversation, um, it, which has resulted in really weird conversations for mm-hmm. me, where I have a parent call up that's like, hey, your, your kid is talking about menstruation or something and I'm saying yeah, I and what's yeah. the big you keep throwing the word vulva yeah. around I'm just not sure about that yeah what is the vulva right <laughs> so I'm like oh here I'll, let me sit down and educate you and then you can help your kids so it it has resulted but I would say you know um, age appropriateness is important but mm-hmm. recognize just like what you said <clears throat> if you want that education to come from somewhere else you're just going to have to be satisfied with whatever that is. Yeah. Um, we get into arguments about the school system. I would say the school system is a limited yeah. exposure for their education about sex. Yeah. It's more likely to be media, social media peers, um, unless it comes from parents yeah. who are not great at that because, yeah. you know, parents, I hear them say, I have an open door policy. They're not going to ask. Yeah, no. They're not going to come find you and ask unless you, you've started the conversation. Or they've heard something somewhere else. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that's... What I feel like I'm doing, my kids are like, they're sharing, you know, words with people and then they're coming back and, uh, yeah. and especially my four-year-old, unfortunately, <laughs> because my four-year-old is hearing the conversations I'm having with yes. my 12-year-old Yep. and then my four-year-old's passing it around. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I have really funny experiences like, but I don't want to embarrass him too much. So <laughs> it's, so um, it is important to help them understand what those components are. Um, that means we have to set aside time to talk to them about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I've heard, you know, like some will say, well, you know, when they get around that age, around puberty, then we sit down, we have a, a, a big talk. And I've heard others say, well, it's more important to do mini talks. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know, just have that conversation. Yeah. Um, what they're going to learn from you is way more important than what they're going to learn from school mm-hmm. or peers or media, um, because the likelihood that they'll experience sex the same way as you is really high. Mm-hmm the likelihood they're going to experience sex the same way as all these other things mm. is low, mm-hmm. right? Because of cultural beliefs, because of genetics, because mm-hmm. of, you know, just environment, they're likely to have very similar experiences as yourself. So um, it is important for parents to be very open, um, to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, think about age appropriateness. I share the story of, you know, um, my son one time used the term um, blowjob, mm. um, and I think he was maybe nine. Incorrectly. Yeah, and he used it wrong, and I was like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to, to explain, and oh, good, okay. So I, I bring him back, and I said, hey, you know, I just, and I was being really good about it, you know, uh-huh. I just um, thought, you know, hey, learn this term, and you know, I want him to understand, and so I share the, you know, and I said, this mm-hmm. is what a blowjob is, and so mm-hmm. we, we talk about it, and I, you know, I look at him and I feel like I'm like, oh, you're I doing a great this. job parenting. Yeah, and he's crying. Oh yeah, he's horrified. I, and I'm saying, oh, I'm not. Why? Why did you start crying? I'm not trying to. You're not in trouble. I wasn't <laughs> saying any trouble. Like I, I just wanted you to understand what it was. Like that's all. And he said, I, he said, I just had heard it somewhere and I did not want to know. Yeah. And and you now shattered. I feel like I'm just overwhelmed. Yeah. And I just I felt so horrible and so. It is important to pay attention to, you know, just age appropriateness. What are they? Where are they at? You know? Well, because I think, as I've observed in my own children, finding out what intercourse is is one thing. They're horrified typically or just kind of like, 
what? But yeah. I, once you start stepping into some of these other sexual acts, they're like, what? Yeah, even beyond. <laughs> How dare you talk to me that way? And exactly. then they're washing your mouth out with soap. Yeah. Yeah, so it is, it's important to just um, help them to understand, help them to feel comfortable, but make sure to separate mm-hmm. situations. And, you know, even situations I've had conversations, um, you know, with my kids where I, you know, it may not even be, you know, my own belief about this sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll even just open the door, though, and say, hey, you know, I just want, if you want to talk about this, we can. And they'll usually say something like, what do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. that sounds like that's, you know, something you don't agree with. And mm-hmm. I'll say, right, but just because I don't agree with it doesn't mean, right? And so I'm opening the door to mm-hmm. say, you know, this is what I would say is most important. And this, you know, safe sex is mm-hmm. going to be most important mm-hmm. to me. And and what does safe sex really mean? And does that, you know, does that only mean mm-hmm. a condom? Does that only mean, and, and to me, no, it doesn't, you know. Yeah. To me, it's a relationship component. And, yep. you know, that's when they would come back and they'd be like, um, you know, are you saying it's okay to have a one-night stand? And I would say something like, for, so for myself, yeah. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Right? I want you to be in a relationship because that, to me, is safety. And here's why, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to, then here's what I would say. Like, yeah. what would be the safety things? Yep. And they get to start talking to me about what yep. the safety things would be. So, totally. so I'm allowing them that opportunity to explore and really that opportunity to ask questions mm-hmm. so they can come and ask me, you know, whatever it is that they want. Well, and I think you're reinforcing that you're the authority on the subject because I do think that there's a handful of people, you know, through teenage years who really don't think their parents do that because they've never talked to them about it. They're completely grossed out by the idea. And so it would just make sense that this is not someone I could talk to about this. So if the parents never... No, it's a huge myth. Establish themselves. The myth myth is that you get married and you stop having sex. Yeah. And you only did it when you had that kid. Total. Just the one, just the three times for me. You've had sex six times. But but statistically, we know that married couples have more frequent sex, um, express, you know, more satisfaction in their sexual life. And so we know that it is. We know what's going on. The kids don't. They don't know that. So you, you have to establish yourself as the sexual authority in their lives. That's going to be this open book, but also that you know what that stuff is, yeah. you know, and that you understand them, right? Yeah. And so that's another piece that's important. Like um, when they start getting into relationships, I know we don't like that, but your parents should have a say yeah. because they actually understand you. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to sex, you know, they've had their experiences, and they can come in and they can say, you know, this is what I've experienced, mm-hmm. and I know we don't want to hear that. But the reality is, is that that gives us information and insight into ourselves, yeah. right? Because we see this. You start getting older, and then you start talking like your parents, yeah. right? And then you say that, and you're like, oh, it's the worst. I sound like my mom. Yeah. I sound like my dad. Or I yeah. sound. You just, oh, I, my uncle said that. And now I'm saying it, and I thought yeah. he was the nut job, and yeah. right. It, it's literally the same as all other areas of parenting. Right. They like, know. really. They've experienced it, yeah. so they really know. And I know things are different. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything uh, because they still have that understanding and maybe they're super biased and that still doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Having that conversation with them still gives you really good insight into yourself. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because, you, you know, your genetic makeup is them, mm-hmm. right? You're, the majority of your history is them, right? That's all your childhood. That's all. And so they're going to understand that really well. Yeah. So, Dr. Ming, you are the second male that I've had on this podcast. And I usually kind of sum it up with asking how you like to manage your period, but obviously you're not much of a menstruator. You are in a household full of menstruators. What speak to us about it. So 
limited knowledge, right? Because yes. I don't have personal experience. And so always very, very different. Um, but what I would say is um, what we've been talking about, mm-hmm. and that's parenting. Um, for myself, I want to be very open. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids know that I, I gave that example already. That And it's happened where, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, even with my boys, and mm-hmm. so we're talking about menstruation and what's going on, and mm-hmm. so they understand fully what's going on. And so, you know, they're, they're asking questions and things like that. And so um, it's it's pretty open, but mm-hmm. trying to remain open is yeah. what I would say. Um, is for myself saying, hey, what do you need? Hey, mm-hmm. how can I help? Because I don't... I don't get this. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also trying to, to latch on to some of the pieces that maybe I do understand. Mm-hmm. Um, men's emotional, you know, we cycle too. We Absolutely. have great days and horrible days mm-hmm. and we're super happy and super depressed. And so I can understand that a little bit. Yeah. And so maybe trying to use that to say, okay, what's it like when I don't feel good, when I don't feel this, when I don't feel that. And so really trying to be open, um, ask a lot of questions about support. Mm. Um, I try to, um, I try to never be the person that would be embarrassed by that situation, mm-hmm. um, or uncomfortable, um, or unwilling. Mm. And so whatever it is, that's what we're going to do. That's mm-hmm. what we need to talk about. And I'm okay with that. And so do you need somebody that's trying to be positive? Do you need somebody that's being sympathetic? Do you need somebody that's trying to be understanding? Um, you know, I, I want really good open dialogue about mm-hmm. what am I going to do mm-hmm. to help rather than, you know, stop acting like that or stop doing I this love, or, well, cause you're modeling, or being ashamed of. By doing that to support you know, your, your partner, you're also modeling that to your daughters and sons, what that looks like. I love that. Well, I grew up with three older sisters. <laughs> and and <laughs> discovering, um, you know, uh, their menstruation cycles mm-hmm. for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. I did not know what was going on. Yeah. And I, I think it was, wasn't until college when I was like, oh my gosh, it's they were menstruating. That's totally. what was happening. Oh. And, and, but I had no clue, yeah. you know, what was going on. Like, you know, they had all these products and mm-hmm. things. And I'm like, what is this crap? You know, like, yeah. And, you know, telling my dad, I'm like, look at all this crap. Like what's going on? And my dad, you know, he, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about that. That's your <laughs> sisters. You know, I don't want to embarrass <laughs> them. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, and so it wasn't until yeah. college when I was like, oh. and so I don't want, I don't want that space to be there. I want, yeah. you know, I want my kids to feel very comfortable to ask a question, to know that this is just part of, you know, the norm. This yeah. is not out of the norm and we are not going to, you know, whatever. And so really lots of good open questions. Mm-hmm. And then really just what, what do you need support wise? Um, you know, what does that look like in any capacity for support? Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. This Thanks is for awesome. inviting me. If you loved this episode of the Vagina Blog Podcast, please take a moment and write a review or share with your friends. This podcast is built by listeners like you, and it means the world to me that you're here. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me. I am thrilled to introduce you to Ruby, my new vulva plush pillow for all your educational needs. Ruby is unique because she comes with her own removable clitoris. The perfect tool for teaching all about female pleasure, how to use period products, and what the entire clitoral anatomy looks like, and more. You can find Ruby on my site, thevaginablog.com. Check her out and let me know what products you'd like to see next. If you love the music on this podcast, be sure to check out Pleasant Pictures Music Club for more. Eric does an incredible job of creating fresh, bold, high-end music for your films, videos, and podcasts.